Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Barnyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Maroon Friday edition of the Yard. Hope you're wearing maroon today. It's a big day. It's our return to Duty Noble Field. Hadn't been there in a little bit. And uh, so we'll get back. We'll welcome the Florida Gators. We're going to preview that a little bit later in the show. Uh, but, you know, here's the deal is uh, we don't get too many chances to congregate together. I like it when you guys come to town. Not just because you're supporting Mississippi State, but you're supporting local industry and local business. And not to mention, you know, I just discussed it with my youngest son yesterday. He's like, hey, Daddy, I really want to go see the Doctor Strange movie with some friends of mine. Do you mind if I go? I'm like, no, I don't mind if you go. Matter of fact, I encourage you to go. I want you to go make some memories with your friends. I want you to go have a good time. And the older that I get, the more that stuff matters to me. Because I know that I have you know, less life in front of me than I have behind me. And so the things that I value most are the time spent with people that I care about the most. And so I encourage you, as always, get in the car, bring the kids, bring those you love, and come support the Bulldogs. And if you can't, let me encourage you to gather around a TV set with those you love and support, too. So I think it's important. I really do. I'm excited today, too. I've got an article that will be up by the time this show is published. Um... I love Mississippi State baseball. I do. Maybe you've heard. Uh, but I wrote an article this morning. I started working on it yesterday. I was kind of inspired to write it. I was working on some other things. You know, earlier this week, I wrote a piece, you know, 10 names that deserve to be considered for the Ron Polk uh, Ring of Honor. And uh, it is an amazing thing that we do that. And I, I think we do a great job of honoring our former greats here at Mississippi State. I think we do. I think we can do a little bit more. And I'm probably a little bit of the fly in the ointment when it comes to that because I like to talk to people about that. Say, hey, you know, what about so-and-so? We hadn't done anything for them. And I think about those families out there. You know, maybe their, their player is gone. You know, maybe, they're, maybe it was their grandfather or their great-grandfather, and they've heard all of these great stories about, you know, hey, when your grandfather played at Mississippi State, he did this, and he went on to the major leagues, and he had this and he had that. How cool would it be to allow those grandkids and those kids to be able to come to Duty Noble Field and see their 
ancestor or the patriarch of their family be honored and be remembered by Mississippi State. You know, we remember them, and I've done my best to document you know, several of these stories for posterity's sake, too, and to also, too, to kind of shine a light on the fact that we've had so many great players in multiple sports here at Mississippi State. Uh, but again, and I know this offends some people, which I think is silly. We're a baseball school. You know, that's, that's the one sport we've always been able to compete at. You know, there's been a few lean years here and there, but by and large, we have been uh, one of the best baseball programs in the history of college baseball. And yes, we just have the one NAFL championship to show for it. But uh, I did my math a while back. We had a discussion there on Gene's page about where does Mississippi State rank? I think I had us 12th all time. We're definitely in the top 15 college baseball programs of all time. I don't think there's any question about that. I think it's one of those things. Sometimes we kind of struggle to come to grips with that because we don't know the history. We don't not not just our history. We don't always know the history of college baseball. But uh, we have been a premier program in college baseball since our inception in 1885. When William Jennings threw the very first pitch at Mississippi State Baseball, we were a winning program. We have been, in many respects, what other people aspire to be. And the good thing is, and I give John Cohen a lot of credit, and Scott Strickland uh, some as well, you know, and I, I go back to think about when Greg Byrne hired John Cohen. So we were kind of drifting a little bit as a baseball program. And that's not in any way a criticism of anybody. But we had kind of, you know, let some things happen. We weren't not quite as proactive as we should have been. Anyway, John Cohen's up there winning an SEC championship at Kentucky. At Kentucky, you may not know this, Kentucky is the only team in the Southeastern Conference to never advance to the College World Series. They have among the most anemic traditions in college baseball among the Power Five. And John Cohen goes up there and goes from worst to first. And so I remember Super Bulldog weekend, John and those guys coming in here. And they, to me, they just look so much better than us. From an organizational standpoint, from an offensive game plan standpoint, I just felt like, you know what, we've got our guy up the road in Lexington, Kentucky, that's winning an SEC championship. And we had not won one since 89 at that point. You start thinking, you know, we – how do we let this happen? And there was a lot of pressure on Greg Byrne to make a move. You know, Ron had already announced his retirement. So, you know, there were some people, obviously, that wanted uh, Tommy Raffo to get the job. I love Tommy Raffo. Tommy, one of the best players to ever play at Mississippi State. That's another name that needs to be in the ring of honor. And it will be soon. Will be. Um, but there was, you know, people were divided. It's like, hey, you know, we, we need new blood or we, let's kind of continue what Polk had built. And there was a lot of pressure on Greg Byrne. I mean, a lot. And you know, maybe he should run the NCAA, right? Maybe he should replace Mark Emmerich. Greg's not scared to make a decision. Good, bad, or indifferent, Greg Burns a great leader. A guy is not scared to make a decision. He's not out here conducting an opinion poll. Now, I'm not going to say that I agree with everything Greg did when he was here at Mississippi State because I don't. I don't. And Greg got credit for some things, too, that he didn't necessarily do. But Greg was a good athletic director when he was here at Mississippi State. And obviously, I mean, you look, it's a guy, too, obviously, that, uh, you know, has built a great career. You know, goes out to Arizona. Now he's an AD at Alabama. Can you imagine? Are there many jobs in the country as good as Alabama as an athletic director? You know, Florida's one, too. And we got Scott Strickland over there, too. But Greg Byrne was getting it from all sides. It's like, hey, we need to respect Ron Polk's wishes. And, of course, Polk had retired one time. 
and uh, named Pat McMahon his successor. Coach Mack came here and did a good job and ultimately left us and moved back to Florida, which was a real sting to our pride, you know, because that's just that didn't happen to us at Mississippi State Baseball. You know, guy, coaches don't leave us. This is a destination job. And so Greg is getting beat up from all sides. A lot of longtime donors are like, hey, Polk deserves the opportunity to name his successor. Again, he'd already done it once, but let's get, he needs to do it again. Tommy has been loyal to us. You know, Tommy's had opportunities to leave and go other places, and Tommy stayed here with the expectation of getting this job. And then there's John Cohen leading Kentucky to an SEC championship. John told me a while back that uh, when he won the trophy, he, he asked the guys, he goes, hey, where, where do you guys want this thing? I was like, oh, you, you know, take it to your office, your house, whatever. You know, they, they didn't even know what to do with the trophy. It's just such a rare occurrence in Kentucky. And Greg hired John revolutionized our recruiting efforts. I shared with you guys before, when John got here, we didn't have anybody committed. I think Ole Miss had 17 of the top 20 prospects in the state of Mississippi already committed or signed. The one guy we went and got was Chris Stratton. Built a staff and a team around Chris. Big leaguer. Worked out well for us. But things changed. And you go back and you think about those decisions. I mean, it's like, you know, not only did we, you know, Go play for an AFL championship in 2013, win the SEC in 16, become an AFL seed for the first time. And all of a sudden, we begin to upgrade our facilities. And then John gets into a position where he uh, kind of controls the purse strings a little bit. And now we have, you know, the greatest cathedral in all of college baseball. And a lot of that goes back to the decision that Greg Byrne made. It's like we decided, hey, we're ready to get serious about baseball again. Now, our love for the, the sport and our program never changed. But our commitment level did a little bit. We had kind of rested in our laurels a little bit. And as much as I love the old dude, we let her get old. We did. And maybe not you or I in this, you know, directly, but as a university, we kind of let Duty Noble get old. We're like, hey, you know, we got all this character in the lounge. Everything is great. And then you look around, man, and some of the facility was pretty antiquated, especially when everybody else in the league began to build, you know, newer and better ballparks. He said, better, yeah. Yeah, better. From a player amenity standpoint, wasn't close. So we had to make a change, and we did. And now we've reaped the benefits from it. That's one thing that I sometimes think to myself is that, you know, what if we'd made these moves earlier? You know, the path is the path. It is. But, you know, what if we'd done it earlier? And now what is to come? And I know this year has not been the year many of us had hoped it would be. I mean, it's not over. Got a big weekend. I mean, we could change a lot this weekend. Really could. We could get some RPI boosts. We, we need to take all three. We do. You take two, that's the minimum standard. We need to find a way to get all three. We do. I don't know if we can, but if we could, it changes a lot. It really does. I just don't have a lot of confidence in us winning all three, just to be honest with you. I believe in this team. I believe in this coaching staff. I believe in our players. I believe in Mississippi State. I do. We got some major return on our investment last year. I don't know if we're going to get the the same dividends this year, but uh, I'm not going to bail on the team or the coaching staff by any stretch. But I think about those things a lot, you know. And uh, one of our guys on the message board mentioned this, too. We, we had a discussion yesterday at Gene's page about, um, you know, going back when Tom DeArmond was here. And that's, that's a name that the casual fans don't really know. He was the lead assistant coach under Coach Paul Gregory. He laid out Duty Noble Field. He was the guy that maintained it. I mean, he was the, the premier you know, facility manager and groundskeeper in the country. You know, the, the, the great tradition 
of Mississippi State baseball turf began in our time to Yarma. Guy took a cow pasture and made it, you know, a jewel of a stadium. And then he's there, and there's this incident with Vanderbilt, and, and um, you know, Polk is here that year, and I guess Polk and him won the regional. It's like that's when we all kind of met. You know, it's like Polk came here. We didn't know Ron Polk that much. We ran the facilities, did a pretty good job, and as Polk's told me before, they came up here for the regional, and he was impressed with how Mississippi State was committed to baseball. Now, that weekend really changed the trajectory of not just Mississippi State baseball, but for most of us, our lives. Interesting stuff. I think you have to have a sense of history. I enjoy today. I look forward to tomorrow. But I have a real sense of history, and I appreciate our baseball tradition. I hope that you do as well. Let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. That's a new tradition that you can all get behind. Great people doing a great job at a great price. So many people out there are reducing portions and uh, using substandard ingredients. Not the people at Bulldog Burger Company. Nope, not them. They're still doing the deal, man. Love Bulldog Burger Company. You will, too. There's three great locations. The University Drive here, one that's in Star Vegas. That's, that's a flagship. Gloucester Street there in Tupelo and Lake Harbor Drive, of course, there in the central Mississippi area. Richmond Flowood area. You go by and check them out. You'll be glad you did. Have the spring rolls as your appetizer. They'll make you and everybody around you better looking. Trust the science on that. And maybe get that chocolate shake to go. That's a nice capper. It's a nice palate cleanser. I love a great restaurant-quality hamburger. It's one of the great delicacies in life. And you could get a hamburger just, word anywhere, just about anywhere, but you can't get one the quality you can at Bulldog Burger Company. Go by and check them out today. You'll be glad you did. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, let's take a look at the Florida Gators. Florida has uh, really underachieved this year. I picked them to win the SEC, and now I've got egg on my face because uh, these guys, you know, they're struggling to make Hoover. They should make it, but goodness gracious. I mean, it's, uh, it has not been the year that many expected for Florida. Now, they've had some injuries too, but that's, that came late. You know, Florida struggled right out of the gate. And that's the thing. Kevin O'Sullivan's a guy too. But, you know, he's, what, 15 years now at Florida, won an AFL championship. You know, the guy has had a, a pretty good run there. M- maybe not the run that they have won it as of late. I mean, it's weird for me to think about, the, you know, Florida – just has the one NAFL championship. And I'm sure a lot of people in Gainesville, Florida, thinking, isn't it weird that Mississippi State only has one NAFL championship? Uh, but with Florida's resources, you would maybe expect them to have more. But let's take a quick look at the Gator season this year. Uh, they, open up, they open up the season at home and lose two out of three to Liberty. Right out of the gate. Two out of three to Liberty. They beat Stetson on the road in DeLand, Florida. They get North Florida. They sweep a weekend series against Georgia State. They beat North Florida up there in Jacksonville. They get Florida A&M 17-0. Then they take a two-out-of-three series at Miami. That was a huge series when it happened. A lot of national attention on that one. And you can see Florida really playing a lot of in-state games uh, in the non-conference. And I think in some ways maybe that gives you a, uh, maybe a false sense of confidence. They get a one nothing win over Jacksonville, the fighting Scotty DeBrules down there. Uh, Steve, uh, Seton Hall comes in for a weekend series, and uh, the Gators take two of three. They play a two nines on Saturday, and then they lose the Sunday game 6-4. They open up conference play with a road series win at Alabama, taking two out of three. You think, okay, maybe they're settling in here. They beat Bethune-Cookman, and then next thing you know, LSU goes into Gainesville and takes that two out of three. Florida wins the Friday game. 
And you kind of go back to when you look at you know, some of these series that didn't do quite as well. You know, they've been really strong on Fridays, and a lot of that's got to do with Hunter Barco, who is no longer on the team. I mean, he's on the team, but he's not available out for the year. And you hate it, man. It's not as bad for him as bad for college baseball. You don't need to see high-profile pitcher guys come in here and end up getting hurt. Not that people are scared of arm trouble this year, but that's that's kind of becomes the, the anti-recruiting pitch, right? These MLB people are like, hey, you don't want to go to college. You can end up with, look what happened to this guy and that guy. But, uh, again, lose two out of three at home to LSU, and you're like, hey, LSU is back. Florida bounces back to beat Florida State in a midweek game on a neutral field there in Jacksonville. And then Florida goes to Georgia. You know, we had been there recently, and you're like, hey, Georgia tastes pretty good. And they are. And Georgia sweeps Florida. 7-6, 6-1, 14-8. So nothing really fluky about that. Georgia dominates the series. They bounce back and beat Florida A&M. You know, we talk about us playing uh, you know, some week nine conference schedules. Uh, you know, Florida has the ability to go out and schedule some, big, some nice mid-majors. They don't always do that. And then Florida bounces back and takes two of three against Arkansas. Arkansas currently was ranked two in the country at the time. And ironically, they lose the Friday night game. They lose the Hunter Barco game at one. They bounce back and win the next two offensively. Really played well. Then they lose at Florida State in Tallahassee. They go to Nashville, and you're thinking, okay, Florida's going to turn this thing around. Vanderbilt's just kind of middle of the pack this year. And Vandy takes two out of three. And it took ten innings on Sunday for Florida to squeeze out a win. Four-three decision there. And again, ten innings. I watched that one. If I, if, if I remember correctly – Bandy's down there last strike, hit a two-run tank to tie it, force extra innings, and then Florida wins it. Uh, they get Stetson in the midweek 10-8, and then uh, they get swept by Tennessee. And no shame in that, right? And, and uh, Nick Min Jones saying, yeah, no shame in that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, they get swept 8-2, 3-0, then in 11 on Sunday, 6-4. The Sunday game's starting to get a little tighter. They take two of three from Kentucky and Gainesville and, again, lose the Sunday game. Strong on Friday, 9-2 and 9-1 Saturday and an 8-1 decision on Sunday. They take down South Florida in the midweek, and so now they're 18-3, excuse me, 18-3, and and it was a score, and they get ready to come in here. And so on the year, Florida is 26-18 and overall and 8-13 and in the conference. Away from their stadium – they're eight and eight total, but true away games are seven and eight. They have not been really good on the road, and maybe that bodes well for us. And you start thinking about you know looking at their seven wins. A couple of those came at Miami, so you get an SEC play. They've been even worse, you know, on the road. So are they vulnerable? I don't know that I would say that, but I think this is a team that can we sweep them? Yes, we can. Will we sweep them? I don't think so, and we need to. I think we win a series. I don't think that we take um, all three. And when I begin to think about, you know, what that means for us, it really puts us in a situation to let's say we get two, gets us to 12 wins. What are we right now? 10 and 10 and what are we? 10 and 11? Or maybe we're nine. I don't remember. I'll look in a minute, but um, I guess I got it right here. Why do I have to do I have to go look? I've got it right here. Uh, look at the standings here. I guess we were eight and eight and 10 heading there for last week. Yeah, we won nine. So, yeah, we won nine. And so, you, let's say you get two this weekend, it puts you at 11. You got to get three or four somewhere, you know. And uh, with what we've got coming in, I don't know if that's the case. 
I just think, you know, this is probably our last chance to kind of get fat. You know, you, you got to eat when food's being served on the table, and this is it. So we've got to find a way to get that done. All right, Bulldog fans, our friends from Tacovas want to remind you that uh, it's festival season, it's concert season, it's sundress season. Yes, it is. And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comforts. So no break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop the new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and our friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tacovas. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges shipped right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her personal foundation, says they're seeing more issues than ever with dogs' joints, odors, and their health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can all look to improve our dog's health their food. What she's discovered is that many dog foods are made in a way they can actually create toxins that could possibly be wrecking our dog's health. And that's true for many of the premium brands as well. Fortunately, she's found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how any of us can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I've got five dogs. I do. I love them. I spend most of my time with them. In fact, Mojo, my mama blue healer, has helped me write six and a half books now. I want her to be as healthy and happy as possible. So if you feel like you do about your dogs the same way I do, let me encourage you to go to badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard and watch Catherine's video right now. And again, that's badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard. Be sure and check it out and make sure your pet is happier and healthier than ever. And um, let's look inside the numbers, I guess, here. Yeah, state now, 9 and 12. So we had talked about 14 kind of being the minimum. You know, 15 probably, I guess 14 wins makes it possible. 15 makes it probable, if that makes sense. And if you look at the numbers, too, you know, ordinarily you'd say 14 would do it, but our RPI is so bad. We need some help there, and it's going to be difficult to make it up. Of course, Florida's got pretty good RPI, so you pick up three wins on them, and all of a sudden life gets a lot better for you. But we still wouldn't be out of the woods. Let's take a quick look at Florida now, kind of look inside the numbers here, look at who's doing what. And they returned a ton of veterans this year. That was the thing, too. They had a lot of guys that got drafted, maybe didn't get what they wanted, decided to come back. And they're not having a season that they wanted. But this, you know, listen, when these guys are, are playing well, this is a difficult lineup. I mean, it really is. All right, Sterling Thompson leading the team 
with a 341 batting average. He's got uh, eight tanks and 38 ribbies. He is a sophomore from Ocala, Florida. A lot of baseball played in that neck of the woods. Five of six in stolen bases. And they, they run the bases enough. They don't run it. They're, they're not like Missouri, even though Missouri didn't run a ton against us. But um, you know, they're 35 and 46 as a team. And uh, Thompson, you know, one of the best ones. Uh, Wyatt Langford started all 44 games for them, hitting 339. He has 14 home runs. And this is a team that can swing it now. You lead balls up against them, you're going to pay for it. This is, again, a sophomore from Trent, Florida. Yeah, doing really good in-state for sure. But uh, 14 tanks, 46 ribbies. Then you've got um, uh, BT, and I'm going to pronounce it wrong, Ryapelli, I guess is his name. But uh, 13 tanks for him, 38 ribbies. Jade Fabian, you knew that he would be a guy that may contend this year. Uh, for the SEC Player of the Year honor, he's not going to win it, but he's got 19 home runs total and 47 RBIs. A lot of swing and miss in his game, and you expect that with power hitters for sure. Uh, but Judd Fabian hitting just 279. Uh, we talked about BT Riapelli, but uh, he's got 51 Ks. That, that's the highest on the team. So there is some swing and miss in this lineup. It's a team that struck out 353 times. Uh, Josh Rivera, six home runs, 19 RBIs, 279 uh, as a hitter. Uh, Colby Halter, I know he is a guy, too, that some people are really excited about, you know, when he was coming out as a prospect. And, you know, he's a sophomore from Bishop Kenny down there in Jacksonville. We had some success recruiting down there, uh, you know, years ago. But, um, you know, they've got some guys that can swing it. But, um, you know, you'd expect Florida to have a lineup that has some link to it. And this one does. But they're really, really strong in the middle. Really, really strong. And so there are going to be times you're going to kind of hold your breath when you get to that three, four, five in the order. These guys can hurt you. Uh, Judd Fabian, too, is a guy that's walked a lot. 46, which is a pretty big number. Also been hit by the pitch five times. The team, 40 hit by pitches. I don't know that it's coached because I think these guys want to swing. I do. And I think, you know, we've got to go out there and get some Ks against them. And I mentioned, you know, as a team, it's 353. But uh, there is some swing and miss in the lineup. They do ground in some double plays. Um, you know, Kendrick Kaleo, Kaleo uh, has done the most with seven, with seven. But, uh, again, you know, this is what you'd expect from a Florida team. Don't let the record fool you. These guys have some ability. These guys can really, really play. It's just a matter of can they kind of piece it together. That's been the real challenge for them. You know, from a pitching standpoint, you know, everybody, you know, listen, it almost has become like a, a trend in the SEC as of late, that everybody loses a pitcher. You know, a, a guy that you count on your weekend rotation. Been a lot of that the last couple of years. But Hunter Barco is an absolute stud. I mean, an absolute monster. And he's done for the year. Five and two record, 2.50 ERA, nine starts, 50.1 innings pitch, which is second highest on the team. And you got to remember, he's missed a handful of appearances now. Um, you know, 69 Ks against 11 walks. So, you know, you're right there at 7-1. to one. That's outstanding. Allowed just six home runs, which uh, was second most on the team. Kind of interesting. Opponents were hitting just 187 against him. This is a guy, too, around the plate, gets a lot of swing and miss, and now, but he's out, he's out of it. And so you start looking at this deal now. You know, we're going to see Blake Purnell at some point. He is their primary reliever. Guy's really, really good. 25 appearances this year. 2.33 ERA, got four saves, which leads a team. 
they've kind of piecemealed that thing out a little bit too, kind of played some matchups. But he's only allowed 10, 10 earned runs all year. 35 Ks against 10 walks. Give up a couple of tanks. Opponents are hitting 238. He does uh, have a tendency to hit pitchers. I mean, hit hitters. As a team, they have hit 62 guys. 62. It's a big number. All right, so uh, Blake Purnell, yeah, we'll definitely see him uh, at some point in the weekend. Brandon Sprout is a guy that a lot of people have projected to be you know, a really good draft pick. I don't know that he's draft eligible this year, but this is a guy that uh, has ha- he has a lot of notoriety, shall we say, as a big leaguer. Got the major league body, 6'3", 210, sophomore out of Pace, Florida. But Sprout is a guy – you know, last year was kind of thrown to the wolves a little bit and did a good job for him. But um, five and four record, four point three nine ERA, uh, twelve appearances, eleven starts, leads the team with fifty five and a third innings pitch. Is allowed fifty hits. That's, that's, that's over a hit per man. That's that's not great. Uh, Twenty seven earned runs allowed and a two to one strikeout to walk ratio. He is a guy that will give up the extra base hit. He has given up eleven doubles, a couple triples, and four home runs. Opponents are hitting 272 against him and uh, five hit pitches, hit by pitches. So that'll be interesting to see kind of how he handles things. But, um, you know, Nick Pogue is another guy that um, that has pitched some form in the midweek. Maybe we see him kind of in a relief role, but that's another guy that they, uh, you know, they expect to uh, to be a dude for them, 6'5", 235 pounds. Timmy Manning is a guy that um, has pitched some SEC. So we may see him as a middle reliever. He's been kind of primarily a, a midweek guy, but, um, you know, we'll kind of see how things go with him. But, um, you know, there's just so many guys on the staff you look at. You know, Brandon Neely is a guy, is a freshman, that has come on here as of late and had to kind of pick up some of the slack. He's been good in SEC play. Um, he had a rough outing against Arkansas, but since that time he's really settled down. Six and a third innings against Vanderbilt in a win and seven innings against Tennessee. And that's the deal. You, you see Tennessee, yeah. He went seven innings and allowed one run on one hit, struck out eight against that lineup. You got to feel good about that guy. And then uh, four innings against Kentucky. So we'll see how things go. But this is a staff, you know, that, this is what Sully is kind of known for is pitching and they've been kind of inconsistent this year, but uh, they're going to be around the plate. They're going to have a three-pitch mix. We're not going to be up there, be able to kind of grind out a lot of at-bats. We're going to have to go up there looking to swing the bat. As a team, it's a 4.48 ERA. But, uh, you know, again, it's a solid staff, which is exactly what you'd expect. I mean, the guys with the higher ERAs are guys who don't throw a whole lot. You know, But among their regulars, they're very, very competitive. They're not going to give you a whole lot. You know, they've allowed 45 home runs to the team. To kind of put that in perspective, their opponents have allowed 83. So, as a team that's relying on the home run, that's a number that kind of sticks out to you. You'd like to see some guys elevate some pitches. And it'll be a little bit warmer, so we'll see if the ball flies a little bit more. There's a time there when it really gets warm. Anything hit hard to left, man, is a tank. You know, so we're going to have to get out there and play good baseball. Um, and you know we're going to probably need some help from them a little bit. We're going to have to play it clean. And my hope is that the weekend, the week off, has been good for us. Looking at some fielding numbers, uh, Florida has committed 34 errors on the year. Opponents just 36. So fielding percentage of 9.79, not bad at all. You, you start looking at these numbers here, these you know errors. I mean they're they're pretty spread out. Josh Rivera uh, leads the team with eight. 
We talked about him a little bit earlier. He's an IMG product, 6'2", 210 pounds. Um, so you know, another one of those guys that looks like a prospect, but uh, he's made some errors. Derek Fabian has made five. Uh, Colby Halter has made a handful. So, you know, nothing really jumps out at this. You say, hey, this is going to be a big weakness right here. But this is a team, again, they're basically us. They're a team. Well, they're us with better pitching, but they're, they're just like us. They're a team that had high aspirations for this year. And they did, it hasn't come through for them. Now, the rest of that story, too, is, is they still got a lot to play for, too. You know, we start looking at RPIs and we start thinking about, you know, at-large bids and things like that. Well, they're very much in the mix for that. And you'd say, but, Steve, we're all right there together and we have a better conference record. We do. But they have gotten some wins that we haven't. And so and I'm pulling up the latest RPI as we talk right now. Our biggest win right now is George, and second biggest one is Auburn. Those guys are third and fourth in the RPI. Southern Miss is right there at 10 in the RPI. See, and our non-conference RPI is what's killing us. But Florida right now, 21 in the country in RPI with a strength of schedule of three. And that's why their RPI is what it is, even with a 26 and 18 record. And so their non-conference records, 18 and five. Non-conference RPI is nine. That's just not the case for us. To kind of put that in perspective, for those of you that are curious, you're like, Steve, you're going to talk about RPI, not mention us. We're at 84. With a strength of schedule of 64. Our non-conference record is 16 and 8, and a non-conference RPI of 166. You say, well, Steve, how is that possible? Well, you know, know, you lose to Northern Kentucky. You know, we got beat by Long Beach State earlier in the year, and everybody's thinking, hey, these guys are going to be world beaters. And a lot of people in West Coast baseball are like, yeah, I told you these guys are going to be great. Could be an Omaha team, and then they are really struggling. Really, really struggling. So we have some very ugly non-conference losses that are weighing us down. That's the issue. That's absolutely the issue. You know, and you leave some wins out there on the field, and we can think of a ball game just about every weekend. It's very rare that we just get our our craniums beat in. There's always the game. There's always that deciding game where we make the crucial mistake or don't get the big hit, and we lose – and when, you, when you're carrying that, that anchor of a non-conference RPI around your neck, it just does you in. You can't overcome those tight losses in the SEC when you don't have a better non-conference schedule. And you know, one thing, and I thought about this earlier, let, let, let's look at this together. It's because I think it's important. You know, we talk about scheduling all the time. You know, everybody would love to come play at Duty Noble Field. Right? I would suspect, and especially those Northern teams, they all love coming down here. Uh, but, you know, when you start looking at this thing, it's just kind of ridiculous to think about this. Like Long Beach State now has an RPI of 112. We lost two out of three to those guys. All right, Arkansas Pine Bluff, their RPI is 300. We beat them. We took two or three from Northern Kentucky. Their RPI is 228. We beat Grambling. Their RPI is 281. Southern beats us, RPI of 10. Tulane, we lose that series. Their RPI is 51. Texas Tech is right there at 44. Princeton, we sweep that series. Their RPI is 283. Bingington, we bring those guys in and beat them on a Monday. Their RPI is 232. Georgia's three. Southern, 247. That's Southern U in Baton Rouge. They're 15 and 27 on the year. Alabama's RPI has now dipped to 50. Memphis, those guys are 500. Their RPI is 197. Arkansas is at 28. We win one down there. We beat Tennessee Martin. They're they're 10 and 29 this year with an RPI of 267. 
LSU's RPS 14. They sweep us, so we don't get much benefit from that. UAB, Casey Dunn's got those guys playing pretty well. Their RPI's ahead of ours. They're 73. Auburn's at four. Jackson State's 282. Ole Miss is at 60 and falling. Missouri, they take two or three from us. Their RPI is 40. Now, Florida ahead of us is 21. Sanford's 157. A&M is 13. North Alabama's 278. I might, we might go ahead and cancel that for rain. And then we have Tennessee with RPI of one. So, you know, probably smart for us to cancel the North Alabama game. That's all it's going to do is hurt our RPI even if you win the game. Not to mention probably save you some, some arms for a weekend when they're going to be swinging it a lot. But, uh, you know, the thing that I go back to, too, is we talk about scheduling. You know, and you got to have some of these RPI, you know, sinkers just so you can get some young guys some work. But, you know, you think you got Arkansas Pine Bluff, Grambling State, um, Southern, you know, Jackson State. What is that, four SWAC schools on the schedule this year? You know, I, I just don't know if, if, if we can absorb four of those. You know, maybe you do a couple. But to do four of those in a year, I don't know. You know in hindsight, that make a lot of sense. But um, you know, it's it's easy to be critical at this point. Of course, if we you know, if, if we win some conference games that uh, we expected to, you can absorb some of that. But uh, you know, who knew? You know, the Long Beach State and that contract was signed at Long Beach State would end up being eighteen and twenty-five with a month to go in the season. You know, we thought that when we got beat, we're like, hey, what? You know what? Those guys are good. Turns out they're not so good. It should have been kind of a harbinger of things to come. You know, we lose that series, and then we drop that game in Northern Kentucky. Then we lose to Southern Miss, and everybody starts to panic, and we're thinking, okay, we'll go to Tulane, and we'll turn it around. And we put that 19-2 to spot up on them on Friday, and we think, okay, here we go. Here come the champs. We lose that extra inning game on Saturday, and then we lose. We lost two one-run games. You know, what would be the difference in that? If you pick up those two ball games, you feel a whole lot better about your season. But more importantly – we lost two of our best pitchers. We split with Texas Tech, and everybody was already panicking. We knew we had to get a sweep of Princeton. We did. We're like, okay, we're good. We're good. We're good. We, 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 we've won five of six going down to Georgia, and then we go down there and get, get you know, beat 11 nothing. And we felt pretty good about that, you know, Sunday win. Like, okay, now we're going again. Put together a four-game one-in streak. We should have swept Alabama. We didn't. Pick up the Memphis win, and we're just thinking, let's go to Arkansas and just kind of survive the series. And that's basically what we did. Finally got a win up there. We're like, okay, now we've got an LSU team coming here to struggle a little bit. They put, they take three from us. And at that point, a lot of people are like, you know what? This is not going to go the way we want it to. Auburn comes in. We take two of three. We lose game three in the 10th inning. Where would we be? Just think about that W. <laughs> you know, goodness, especially with their high RPI. You beat Jackson State, take two out of three from Ole Miss, and everybody's thinking, okay, we're okay, we're okay, we're okay. And then we go drop two out of three to Missouri. And it's like it's been so up and down, roller coaster thing. It's like just when we start to feel a little bit better. And I don't think at any point maybe we felt great this year. Maybe that's fair to say. At no point this season have we felt great about the season. There are times we felt pretty good. In time, we felt okay, but a lot of times we've just kind of been worried. It's like, oh, my gosh, is this really happening? We're the national champs. So it kind of is what it is at this point. But no matter what's happened before now, you can take some steps towards feeling good again by winning a series, but more importantly, finding a way to sweep a series. And that's going to be difficult to do. I'm not going to predict a sweep. I'm hoping for one, but I do think State takes a series 
uh, two games to one, which gives us a, will give us 11 wins in the SEC. And you got to find a way to get four. You start thinking about that. Can, can we get to four, get four more? I don't know that you can, uh, but if you get three, at least gets you in the conversation. But, uh, again, we're, we're looking at a sub-500 record in the SEC more than likely and an, an RPI probably outside of the top 50. And that's maybe being, being um, generous right there. So there you go. That's, uh, that's your look at Florida. We're going to look around the, uh, the SEC a little bit later in the show. I want to give you guys, too, your prime shrimp player to watch this weekend. And I'm going to do it a little bit differently. We went with Brandon Smith. I'm going to go with Preston Johnson this week. I think Preston Johnson is your player to watch this week. Let's thank our friends at Prime, at, uh, at Prime Shrimp first. Go to primeshrimp.com today. You'll be glad you did. I cannot endorse these guys enough. I've absolutely loved this. It's like when I first, when they first contacted me, I was like, I don't know. I tried a sample product. I'm like, hey, this is great. I got I ordered some more. And I'm like, hey, this could be like a regular part of my of my deal. You order it, put it in the freezer, and you get it out when you want it. You know, you don't have to worry about all that stuff. It's shipped directly to your door. It's well packaged. It's well cooled. It's easy to prepare. They've already been peeled. There's no tails. You don't have to devein them. You just boil a pot of water. Ten minutes later, you drop a shrimp in, and they're done. It's amazing. And if you get that French Quarter Alfredo, it comes with the Alfredo sauce as well. So all you got to do is you know, heat up some fettuccine noodles, and next thing you know, it's just like you're on Sabisa, at Cafe Sabisa there on Decatur Street. It's incredible. Go to primeshrimp.com today. They've been peeling shrimp since the 1940s. They know how to help you feed your family. Use promo code BONYARD to save some money on that order. Again, that's primeshrimp.com. Uh, and again, they are your player of the week sponsor or your player to watch. And so I'm going to go with Preston Johnson. He said, but Steve, he hadn't been good lately. You're right about that. You're right. And he will tag you the same. I don't think there's any question about it. I mean, you know, he got shelled last week against Missouri. Wasn't good. But here's the thing that I've noticed about Preston Johnson in the two years that he has been here. Guy, number one, the guy is a tremendous competitor. And he is a guy that generally bounces back. Now, let's take a quick look at his splits this year and see how he's performed. And, it, and it, it's rare that he has two bad outings in a row. You can say, but Steve, you know, he wasn't. He gave those three first inning home runs against uh, Ole Miss. He did, but then he ends up getting the shirt, right? Because he, he buckled down and kind of kept us in the game. He didn't get credited with the win. But we do. We win the ball game, And I think that's the thing you look back in hindsight and say, you know what, not only did we win the ball game, but he saved some arms for the rest of the weekend and really kind of turned that weekend uh, kind of around for us, kind of set us up for Sunday. Really good effort. I wish I could get these numbers to pull up here. But um, some, that's one thing about the, the beauty of the Internet sometimes. It's like, you know, I just put this in and it didn't work, and then I go back and put it in the same thing and it works. And, um, again, the world's an imperfect place. But, um, you know, looking at Preston Johnson's numbers here, and let's, let's be honest, you know, beginning of the year, he was going to be the first guy of the bullpen, right? I mean, that was a role that we, we were comfortable with him in, and, that, and he had to be the Friday night starter. I mean, you know, so, you know, we're kind of asking him to do a job that we didn't sign him to do. Now, he wanted the job. Make no mistake about it. Preston Johnson has wanted uh, to be a pitcher on the weekend. But, uh, you know, let's go back and look here. You know, he had that horrible outing against Arkansas. It's awful. 
Four innings pitched, seven hits, seven earned runs, five walks, seven K. It was, it was dreadful. The next game, he comes back. Two hits, one run, six innings pitched, 10 Ks against LSU. A phenomenal effort. We didn't win the game, but it was a phenomenal effort. Then we have the Auburn game, right? Seven innings pitched, four hits, four runs, three of them earned, 12 Ks. Then the Ole Miss game. So now all of a sudden you have this bad game at, at Missouri, and nobody feels that worse than he does. And he had some pretty good stuff. It's just when he made mistakes, they made him pay for it. We had 10 Ks in that ball game, and he only goes four innings and uh, allows nine runs. I suspect back at home tonight, you're going to see kind of a return to form from Preston Johnson. And I think that's going to be huge for Mississippi State because I feel like if you can win and get a quality start from him, uh, I guess Brennan Smith tonight, excuse me. But if you can get that from him and save some arms from Sunday, you got a real chance to sweep a series. Now, we got to swing the bats too. But, uh, you know, ultimately I think pitching kind of cost us last weekend. I think we'd all agree with that. Um, and I think, I think Preston would probably wear the blame uh, for that Saturday loss. He had some guys coming behind him that didn't throw strikes either. But, uh, you know, it wasn't like he was walking a lot of people. But uh, we put ourselves in a bad situation and gave us some home runs. And so we've got to go out there and keep the ball down. And, uh, again, he is a guy that I have always expected to answer the bell. And he's three, three Ks away from 100 Ks. Did you know that? That's crazy to think about. So let's kind of look ahead to that. Preston Johnson, your prime shrimp player to watch this weekend. All right, it's time for today's top 10 list. And uh, we're doing country again today, courtesy of our good friend Blair Chandler. If you are unfamiliar with Blair, let me introduce you. Blair is my friend, been my friend a long time. He is a friend in the mortgage industry. He's a personal friend, too. I don't want to suggest that it's just an arm's length type arrangement. But uh, Blair's my friend that happens to be a mortgage professional. A lot of people out there competing for your business. But Blair's got 21 years of experience. That guy has seen it all and done it all. He's dealt with non-conforming borrowers, some atypical situations. Perhaps you've got a property that uh, has got mixed zone usage. He is Listen, all that stuff is not Greek to him. He knows exactly how to handle things to get your loan approved. Close ratio in the top 1% nationally, and that's what happens when you deal with a mortgage professional. You know, underwriting can be a difficult chore, and you need somebody to go be your advocate, and that's Blair Chandler. Uh, and so visit Blair at closewithblair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R. His personal phone number is 601-500-2344. Again, 601-500-2344. And he is licensed to practice in multiple states. So reach out, let him know that uh, what your situation is, and he can get right to work on your, your deal. And, and maybe you're somebody living paycheck to paycheck because of the fact that uh, maybe you got overextended on some credit card debt. Maybe you had some unexpected expenses. It's no need to panic. Blair can get your equity working for you and put you in a better frame of mind. Get a lot better sleep at night knowing that you uh, are not going to have to sweat it out going to, uh, to lunch with the friends the day before payday and you run that debit card, you know it's kind of debit card roulette. You don't know if you're going to win or not. So remove that anxiety from your life. Go to closewithblair.com. And if you are a loyal Boneyard listener, mention to him that you heard about him on the Boneyard. He's going to pay for your appraisal. That is quite an incentive to do business with him. Again, that's closewithblair.com. All right, so top 10. Country today. Pretty good response last week. I, you guys may have seen this too. Brantley Gilbert is coming uh, to Tupelo. 
Saw that earlier today. Brantley Gilbert. We're not doing Brantley today, but I just noticed that. Brantley Gilbert and Jelly Roll. Jelly Roll also doing some dates with Shine Down on the Planet Zero Tour. I haven't seen those guys in a couple of years. Maybe I need to get out and go see them. Got to find some stuff to do. I'm going to, uh, to see Motley in Atlanta at the stadium tour. The long-awaited stadium tour has been pushed back twice. Me and the homie Sam Denton are going to go make the trip and uh, have a good time out there in Atlanta, Georgia. All right, so today we're not doing Motley. We could do Motley every day. I could come up with a Motley Crew theme top ten list pretty much every day. You know, maybe we say, you know, best songs from this tour, best songs from that tour, best songs written by this guy, best bass line, best guitar solo. I could do it. I'm your Motley Crew resident expert. And it's funny, too. Last night, really, really kind of funny moment in the ballgame. We're going to talk about Kentucky and Tennessee a little bit later. Kentucky mows down a guy. They throws a fastball by a guy for for a uh, swinging strike three, and the next thing you know, the in-stadium PA is playing too fast for love. Why didn't we think of that? Why didn't we think of that? Rhett, I know you listened to the show. Let's put that on the playlist, Rhett Hobart. Let's bring more metal to the D-Noble field. But today... We're celebrating Miss Carrie Underwood, an incredibly talented singer, incredibly beautiful young lady that uh, kind of rose to prominence on the success of the American Idol show. And uh, I remember Simon Cowell said that he predicted she would be the best-selling American Idol artist of all time, and I believe she's done that. Pretty remarkable. Pretty remarkable. Now, her catalog has a lot of variety in it, too. You know, a lot of country stuff does. You know, we... We get up there and talk about, you know, beer drinking and hell raising, and then we'll go sing a hymn like everything's okay. But um, this is one of those songs. Uh, number 10 is uh, Last Name, which is a song about a one-night stand. Opens up with a cool little banjo riff. You know, it's like, hey, I went up there. Next thing you know, I don't even know his last name. Maybe we've all been there. I have. Maybe you have. Uh, number nine, Drinking Alone, a much different scenario, also goes down in a bar. Guy comes up, tries to pick up a girl, and uh, she's like, nope, I'm sitting here drinking alone tonight. I'm sad. I'm just going to kind of handle this, this deal on my own. And uh, kind of got a little bit of an R&B feel to that. Number eight, Cowboy Casanova. Maybe you're familiar. I'm not a cowboy. I'm not. Never have been. I've worn cowboy boots maybe a handful of times in my life. Used to have some ostrich skin boots that somehow found its way into my life. And I wore them, had my jeans tucked in my boots, and uh, went around town waiting for somebody to say something out of sorts. So I was never truly a cowboy Casanova, but I think it's a pretty cool song. Number seven, Good Girl. And that's the thing, too. That's what we all wanted in life, right? You know, maybe maybe when you meet the girl in the bar, you hope she's a bad girl, but then, uh, you know, if you're going to date her or marry her or have an extended relationship with her, you want her to be a good girl. It's got good values. Number six, I like this song a lot. I think this is... Um, Maybe a little bit underappreciated. I, I think the writing on this is pretty good. And, of course, a lot of people in country music don't write their own songs. A lot of songwriters out there uh, making a big buck selling songs to people that maybe are better singers. Uh, but this is one, too, that I think the writing is very clever. It's a song called Undo It. Got a little bit of a rock element to it. And it's basically about kind of rebooting your life. It's like, I met you. I wish I could undo all this stuff and go back to who I was and my life being what it was before you came along. I know we've all been in that position before. All right, number five, another great banjo intro here. It's the uh, it's church bells. 
Again, pretty clever writing here. I think you'll enjoy that one. Church Bells, that's your number five song. Number four, Blown Away. Be blown away for a lot of different reasons. That's your number four song. Another big hit for her. Great, great vocal performance. Number three, kind of what we were talking about before. We talk about one-night stands and drinking in bars and shooting pool and uh, smoking left-handed cigarettes, but uh, where Jesus take the wheel on number three. Jesus take the wheel. And I see that a lot out there. A lot of people use that as a hashtag. Uh, very, very popular song. Uh, number two is a duet with Miranda Lambert. It's something bad. Something bad's about to happen. Just kind of have that vibe. I didn't have that vibe beginning of baseball season, but I had it last week heading into that Missouri series. I just kind of felt, oh, this is, man, this feels so bad for us. It feels even worse today knowing we've lost a series. But something bad, do out Miranda Lambert. Number one, though, could, there, could it be anything else? I don't think it could be. The debut single off the debut album, and I think every broken-hearted girl in the world probably sang this to the top of her lungs as she drove around the highways and byways of the Great South. It's a song before he cheats. And again, very clever writing. You know, may have saved a little trouble for the next girl because the next time that he cheats, you know it won't be on me. Great song. Um, great video, too. A lot of good visual imagery in this song, you know. Took a Louisville slugger to both headlights. It's great. And maybe, maybe if you're the guy that owns a pickup truck that uh, – got keyed and everything else maybe you don't maybe you don't appreciate it quite as much but there you go carrie underwood's top 10 songs as i see them and again got some input from one of my country music experts on this list and i went back and listened to them and kind of rearranged your order on the back end but i think we can agree then uh my country music expert says you're probably going to get some grief over this list perfectly okay perfectly okay i i like the discussion uh, especially when we're talking music. I mean, I love sports, love music, and so I love to get your opinions on things. So we'll get back to some rock on Monday. If you guys have ideas for the top ten list, reach out and let me know. Better yet, contact my friend Roy Samante on Twitter, at Dogmatic67. That's D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7. And he'll put your idea on the list. So there you go. So Carrie Underwood, knock that one off the list. Trying to do some country each week and uh, – might do some R&B on Wednesday, maybe. Kind of if, if I can find the right one. So maybe if you've got a good idea, reach out and let me know. I may just do my favorite R&B song. We might do that one. You don't know that about me. I mean, you see the hair and the tattoos and you think, well, you know, he's only a rocker. You're wrong about that. You're wrong. There was a time in my life about all I listened to was R&B. I was a big guy, Troop and Jodeci fan. I loved, loved, loved Jodeci. Loved them like the work that Casey and JoJo did as well. Really, really enjoy some quality R&B, and I do think the R&B of the 90s was true R&B. You know, I was all part of that you know, new addition tree, too, with uh, Ralph Tresvant, because you need a man with sensitivity. I knew all that stuff. I got those CDs in my house. I can prove it. But there you go, your top 10 list. And again, reach out let us know. Thanks so much for your support of the top 10 list. It's amazing to me how many people access those lists. Royal send me the numbers sometimes, and I'm blown away. And sometimes I just go, I don't always, I'm always not chasing numbers. You know, Roy's like, hey, we need a big week. Let's, let's do this. Let's do that. You know, sometimes I just want to share my thoughts on some music that's important to me. You know, every so often I'll get the mood. And uh, we haven't done a suicidal tendencies list. And I'm, many people are like, Steve, well, what, what is that? 
I love suicidal tendencies. I watched them open there in Jackson. We all gathered together to see the Queensryche Operation Mindcrime Empire Tour and suicidal blew our minds away playing in Mississippi. It's like, what? This is insane. I never felt more in tune with the, uh, the prep hipsters of the private schools of central Mississippi than I did that night. Because we had seen suicidal tendencies like on MTV. Never thought in a million years they'd ever come to Mississippi, and they did. And I walked away. That was, to this day, that's the best concert I've ever attended, without a doubt, without a doubt. And I think part of it is because I was so incredibly impressed with suicidal tendencies. Now, the Queensryche, I was already a huge Queensryche fan, so when I saw the show, it was, and I was still blown away at how incredibly tight they were and how, how the performance was just so remarkable. It was unlike anything I'd ever seen. But suicidal tendencies, a phenomenal opener. And I, I was just so amazed at the energy they pulled from the crowd. It's like, you know, how, have I missed the boat here? It's like, you know, I'd seen institutionalized and some stuff and on MTV, but it's like I see some of these kids that were just absolutely going off, and I'm like, I got to get up to speed here. And so Lights, Camera, Revolution was my first Suicidal Tendencies album. I went back and bought some other ones, but uh, really, really dig those guys. And maybe we'll do a list at some point of Suicidal Tendencies just because I want to talk about it. It's my show. They're my list. You can have your own list. Chances are your list would be wrong. But uh, if you're into suicidal tendencies, man, if you'd like to hear that, reach out, let me know. Or maybe let Roy know, and we'll do that. But I'll never forget that night in Jackson when we all got together and we saw Suicidal in Queensryche. And it was just I, it was like I felt like, you know what, why are these guys here? I mean, we're in Mississippi. You know, I guess maybe I still had some of that small-town, self-loathing Mississippi in me, and I was like, you know, we're not worthy of this performance. You know, this is the same venue that I watched the Oak Ridge Boys at the Dixie National Rodeo. And now these guys from the, from the West are here laying down some rock, man. Blew my mind. It did. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by our friends at Campus Bookmart. Uh, I love Campus Bookmart. You will, too, if you don't already. Stan, the man has moved on. We wish him the best in his retirement. That's just one less smiling face that you're going to see up there. The quality of service continues. The quality of pricing products remains. Campus Bookmart is a Stark villain institution. Be sure and check them out. If you can't come to town, visit them on the World Wide Web. I know many of you are like, hey, Steve, I don't get to Starkville that often, but I want to I I support a Starkville business. You can look no further than Campus Bookmart. Great people, all Bulldogs, doing the best they can to provide you with the best Mississippi State merchandise on a daily basis. Visit them at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Barnyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays, and that is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that gets you free shipping on all orders, over 50 bucks, any order, less than $50, absolutely incomplete. Now, many of you, like me, stayed up really, really late last night to watch Kentucky and Tennessee finish that game. I'm a Nick Mangione fan. I think an awful lot of Nick Mangione. And so I'm pulling for Nick and those guys to find a way to maybe make the tournament, not at our expense, obviously, but, uh, yeah, I want Nick to have a good career, man. The guy was great when he was here at Mississippi State. But uh, Kentucky picks up a huge, huge win last night, huge. I don't know if we can understate or overstate how important that win was, not just for them, but I think, too, you know, we start talking about, you know, that maybe perhaps that um, Tennessee is invincible. 
I think I saw a stat this morning that like uh, Kentucky held Tennessee hitless like in their last 42 at bats in a ball game. That is ridiculous. Kentucky wins it 3-2. And uh, walk it off there, obviously, in the 13th inning. But uh, Tennessee gets up one nothing in this ball game. I guess that's right. Yeah, they get up one nothing, And then uh, I guess these numbers aren't right. There's so much. I guess it's a longer box score. But um, let me look here. Let me look here. Yeah, but anyway, to make a long story short, uh, it was back and forth for a while and uh, was tied at two. Yeah, I guess they get up two nothing, and then Kentucky ties it with two in the fourth. That makes it a two-two ball game, and then there is no scoring until the bottom of the thirteenth. They get a two-out triple, and then a, a little fister down the line and left. Guy was just strong enough, just kind of muscle it down the line there, and the run scores. Thrasher, of course, scores the run. And that's a kid, too, that had to shout at the devil from Motley as his walk-up song. As I tweeted last night, you're not getting home without some metal. Of course it's that kid scoring. But a huge win for those guys. Wouldn't it be wild if Kentucky took the series? It's crazy to think about that. You say, Steve, there's no way. Well, Kentucky has actually you know, been pretty good outside of Friday in the SEC. So, now we expect them to come back. But uh, what if Nick perhaps has figured something out here? What if Nick and the Kentucky staff have kind of figured out, hey, this is how you attack this Tennessee lineup? And what if maybe they share it with us? Huh? You know what I'm saying? Be great. All right, so let's, that's the only game that was in, uh, in the conference last night was the, the Tennessee-Kentucky game. And what a game it was. Man, I love college baseball. I absolutely do. I could watch it every day. All right, so Vanderbilt is at Georgia. This is a huge series for Vanderbilt. And Georgia, you know, kind of trying to play their way into a hosting opportunity. We mentioned earlier, they got top five RPI. You know, they're in a really good spot to host. You need to finish this deal here. You know, and we talk about, you know, Vanderbilt. You know, Vanderbilt's another team, too, that just maybe hadn't been what some people expected them to be. They're about what I thought they would be. I said, you know, basically since we left Omaha, they were going to take a step back this year. They're right there with us. It's kind of ironic. They're 10 and 11 in the league and 29 and 14 overall. Not been a great road team. Most teams aren't. Matter of fact, you look at the, um, you look around the SEC, most teams in the SEC have a losing road record. Uh, in the East, Tennessee, of course, 9 and 1, Georgia, 9 and 7, Vandy, 8 and 5 on the road. And then um, AM, uh, Auburn's 8 and 6, AM's 10 and 5. They're a great road team. And then eight and eight for Ole Miss. But, um, you know, so, yeah, it's going to be interesting, for, to say the least. But I like Georgia to win it. Georgia might even sweep this thing. I mean, honestly, they might. And, uh, you know, Vanderbilt, you know, I think they're firmly in the tournament. But, um, you know, we'll see how the rest of the schedule goes for those guys. You start looking at the numbers here. You know, it's not going to be an easy stretch for Vandy. You go to Georgia this weekend – then you go to Arkansas, and then you host LSU. That's tough, man. That's tough. You know, so we, we could be in a situation if we can find some W's, you know, to pass those guys. Now, our schedule is not much much lighter by any stretch of the imagination. But how weird is it that the two national semifinalists are going to have to sweat this thing out down the stretch? Pretty crazy. But I like Georgia in the series. We're going to take them two games to one. I can see Georgia sweeping this thing. Uh, 20 and 5 at home. 
They don't drop much at home. But with Cannon back, you know, hey. And so, and I think, too, with Georgia taking a series, that pretty much clinches, maybe not mathematically, but it pretty much makes Georgia the number two in the East. They're not going to catch Tennessee. But they could put some distance between themselves and Vanderbilt. And, of course, nobody else in the East has a winning record in conference. And so I think Georgia taking two makes them 14-10 and 10 with two series left to play. So you feel pretty confident they're going to finish above 500. That There may be only two teams in the East that do, that being Tennessee and Georgia. Again, when we left Georgia, I said, you know, I think they're a good team. Are they good enough to host? Probably are they good enough to be a top eight? I don't think so. I think that's going to play out pretty much as we expected it. But, again, that Georgia team, Scott Strickland, you know, this guy's – they collapsed down the stretch last year. They were a good team last year. Just, you know, didn't have a good final ten games. I think they lost, what, seven of ten, eight of ten, something like that. Uh, LSU is at Alabama. This is a very, very interesting series. And I know it's not going to get a lot of national acclaim, but it could mean an awful lot in the standings. You start – say, well, Steve, what's our rooting interest here? Well, you know, we're basically tied there with Alabama 9 and 12, and LSU is 12 and 9. Uh, so, my honest opinion is, I think, I think we pull for LSU here. I don't think we have any chance of catching LSU. But I think maybe LSU can put some L's on Alabama and allow us to move up into the pecking order. I just don't think there's any way we catch the Tigers. I think the best we can hope for is perhaps to finish fourth or fifth in the SEC, which is crazy considering the beginning of the year. Many people considered us one of the favorites. But uh, it is what it is. But I think you really want LSU to win the series and allow you to uh, you know, to leapfrog Alabama there. Again, we're right there with them. We hold the tiebreaker over those guys. So we're technically, if the, the, the tournament was seeded today, we would be the fifth seed in, uh, out, of the, out of the West. But let's kind of put some uh, distance between them in the rearview mirror. Bottom line is we got to take care of our own business. We can't just depend on help. We got to win some games. Uh, I like LSU to take two of three. LSU is pitching it a lot better than they were earlier in the year. Still kind of a joke defensively at times. Um, but, yeah, Alabama, I just – while they are better, and, and I suggested that earlier in the year that they would be a better team this year, they are. I just don't know they've got enough. I do like that Alabama order, though. Awfully interesting. South Carolina is at A&M. South Carolina, you talk about a team that um, has a bit of an identity crisis. They can't tell if they want to be good or want to be bad. I just never know what to expect from South Carolina. I mean, here just a week ago, we're talking about them being 6-12 and 12 in the league. And then they sweep. Pretty crazy. So let's go back and look at this here. Excuse me, they get swept uh, by Auburn. Um, but, you know, they were kind of in the mix there. Now, then they, that's not right. That's not right. So they got swept by Auburn, and then they swept Alabama. That's what we're getting at. We talk about being up and down. You know, they were 6-12. and 12. I knew that math wasn't right. 6-12, and 12, and they did take all three from Alabama. And two of those are one-run games. The Sunday game got away from Bama's 11-5 deal. But what do we make of this South Carolina team? I mean, it's like you look at them one week, it's like they have some huge big wins, and then it's like – and then they don't – it's like they've never played baseball before. It's pretty crazy to think about that. I mean, take two out of three for number one Texas – you know, swept by Tennessee. They beat Vandy. They lose a game at Mizzou, which, you know, obviously we're learning it's not the most, uh, you know, easy thing to do. Um, and then they, they, they take one out of three from, 
from Georgia. But you know, this is a team that has kind of shown they can play with anybody and they can lose to anybody, kind of like us, kind of similarly situated, except um, this is a team, too, that has been dreadful on the road. Dreadful, 3-10. and 10. So we'll see how things go. I, I just – I don't think that – the way A&M is pitching it, South Carolina is going to be down there, going to be able to go down there and take a series. But let's go with the Aggies, two games to one. I won't be the least bit surprised if A&M sweeps because they are playing really good baseball right now, and South Carolina has just proven to be so bad on the road. All right, Missouri is at all Miss. I like this series a lot too. One of the reasons that I like it is I feel confident Missouri is going to take a game, and I can see Missouri taking two for the same reasons that happened to us last weekend. Now, the one thing about it is, is that Ole Miss not going to have to throw against Missouri up there on the hill with a 25-mile-per-hour wind blowing out the right. And Ole Miss is really good in their own ballpark. I'm going to pick Ole Miss to take the series. I think Ole Miss will win it two out of three. I'd love to see Missouri do it. I just don't know that they can. I think in the end that um, the length of that Ole Miss lineup, which is a little bit better, I think, than their fans may may appreciate, is going to – cause an issue I think Ole Miss will do play well enough at home and Deluce has been so good on Friday so you automatically give Ole Miss the win tonight in my estimation I think you picked them to win today and then they just got to find another one I just can't see Missouri taking two in a row from those guys I mean you know listen they've got some interesting pieces in the bullpen so if they get a lead in one of those games you feel good about it but are they all in uh, in two games can they do it I think Ole Miss takes a series two games to one, which would make uh, Missouri, what, 8-16 and 16 in the league and, and assured of a of a non-winning record. It also makes Ole Miss 9-13, and 13, you know, with, uh, with uh, two weekends left. Uh, so, again, interesting matchup. But uh, I could see Mizzou winning the series. I just don't expect it. Arkansas is at Auburn. This is the one that a lot of the SEC regional baseball analysts will be watching. Auburn now all of a sudden getting some injuries on the pitching staff. Uh, Buckhalter's going to be out. Hayden Mullins is going to be out. I like Arkansas in the series. I know Arkansas is a tough, gritty team. And that's, again, that's a Dave Van Horn attribute. They talk about teams take on the personality of their skipper. That's the case with Arkansas. Dave Van Horn's a very mentally tough guy. Uh, So the Razorbacks, I think, go into Auburn and take the series. Arkansas kind of in contention for a top eight national seed again, but they're nowhere near as good as they were last year. But you look up and all of a sudden they're grinding out these W's. Now, the thing about Arkansas, too, we talk about road records. You know, they're four and five on the road. The difference is, is that Auburn is just having all these issues on the pitching side. And Arkansas can absolutely swing it. I don't know that I would say Auburn's going to sweep because I think Arkansas pitching the last couple weekends has been a little bit sketchy. You know, they've had some guys that have done pretty good, but, you know, Connor Nolan, those guys, um, you know, as a staff, as a complete staff, I don't – I think now that people have kind of seen some film, people are attacking them a little bit differently. And Sonny Deshara, of course, uh, having a career year there at Auburn, really kind of helping carry that offense. Auburn's going to get at least one. But I think Arkansas takes a series. I think in the end, Auburn won't have the pitching uh, to win game three there on Sunday. So that's your look around the league. And uh, you know, just recapping again, Tennessee's going to should take a series from Kentucky, even though they got to win two in a row. I think Georgia takes two or three from Vandy. LSU, two of three from Alabama. Uh, A&M, two of three from South Carolina, maybe even sweeps. I think Ole Miss takes two or three from Missouri. 
State takes two or three from Florida and Arkansas, the lone road team to, to win a series this weekend. Excuse me, LSU will too. I guess I'm, I'm completely discombobulated now. Tennessee's on the road too. That's just a bad point. But Arkansas will take the series uh, there at Auburn. So just completely disregard what I said about them being the only road team. I don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, so interesting weekend. We need some things to go our way. And again, I, I think what we need is some teams that we know we're not going to catch beat some teams we can and so that's kind of where we are. I mean, and we look at the SEC standings right now. I guess we're eighth, seated eighth. So Tennessee would be one, Arkansas would be two. And then you kind of go from there, which at this point, I think based on the tiebreaker, with Georgia would be three, LSU would be four. And then there is Texas A&M, which would be, I guess Texas A&M would be four because they hold the tiebreaker over LSU. LSU would be five. And then currently Vanderbilt is six, and then South Carolina seven, and then us, and then Alabama. So it kind of goes from there. You get down to the bottom of the league. Right now, if the if the SEC tournament started this weekend, Ole Miss wouldn't be in it. Ole Miss and Missouri would be out. So those two teams will kind of play for the SEC seller uh, this weekend. The loser of that series is now it would be 14th in the league. So all of that is very interesting too. I mean, of course. Uh, and Missouri's just, I guess, a half game out of uh, sixth with Kentucky, and they did win the series, so they would hold a tiebreaker there. But Ole Miss, two games behind Mississippi State and Alabama. So that'll be interesting, too. I mean, you begin to think about if LSU goes in there and sweeps Alabama and then Ole Miss wins a series against Mizzou, the next thing you know, they have kind of flip-flopped. And, of course, Mississippi State, you know, hey, we lose a series to Florida. You know, we're still there, too. Again, you got two-game lead, but um, – you still got nine games left to play, so a lot could happen. But if it started today, Missouri and Ole Miss not going to Hoover. And I, I've talked to some people in college baseball about this too. You know, there are a lot of people out there that like feel like it's kind of a, you know, it's kind of a foregone conclusion that Mike Bianco is fired at the end of the year. I would not want to be Keith Carter um, for multiple reasons. But and when I think about this situation here, I just begin to think about Mike Bianco – Third winningest coach in SEC history. I, if memory serves me correct, only Skip Bertman and Ron Polk have won more SEC games in SEC history than Mike Bianco. And you can say, well, that's great. On the Ole Miss side of things, you begin to say, yeah, but he's been to Omaha once. And so, yeah, we've won a bunch of games, but we haven't been able to win them when it matters most. And I get it. I do. It's like some of the angst that many of us had about Dan Mullen. It's like, yeah, we're winning a bunch of games, but we can't get back to Atlanta. It's like, you know, hey, yeah, it's great. You know, we're enjoying the bowl games. But, man, how great would it be one year to go up there and do it? You know, and, and uh, Ole Miss goes to Omaha back in 14. And that's a long time ago now. I mean, think about that for a second. It's like, you know, we went in 13. And we're back in a region in 14. We had a dreadful year in 15. And in 16, we win the SEC. We're a top eight national seat. We didn't make it to Omaha. 17, we lose in the Supers at LSU. That's the Brent Rooker triple crown year. 18, we make it to Omaha. 19, make it to Omaha. 21, make it to Omaha and win it. And so when if you're Mike Bianco, it's like you begin to kind of realize you've, you've missed your window. Because at the beginning of the show, we talked about the decision when Mississippi State began to kind of recommit to baseball. Well, all of a sudden, now Ole Miss is just kind of a glorified uh, also-ran. And I think, I think there is a real possibility – that they work out a settlement of some sorts and let him retire. I can't see them firing Mike Bianco. I just can't. I, I, I just can't. I can't wrap my mind around that. 
I think you got to handle that deal with class. And uh, maybe you buy him out and call it a retirement or whatever. I don't know how long Mike Bianco wants to coach. But I also know that this team was built to win this year. You didn't have the pitching. One thing that we talked about early in the year, but offensively you just felt like, hey, well, the way those guys can swing it, you don't have to have a lot of great pitching on Sundays. If you could just find a way to get a split Friday, Saturday, and you get into Sunday and kind of exhaust somebody's bullpen, you can you know, win like a church league softball game, you know, 19 to 12 or something. But offensively, they have not been at all what a lot of people expected them to be. And at the end of the day, you look up and you're dead last in the West and currently out of Hoover. I get it. But it's a complicated issue, to say the least. You know, it's kind of like, well, who would we want up there? A lot of people say, oh, well, you know, well, they'll go get Tony Vitello. No, no, no. I, I can't see it. I think Tony's kind of got it rolling up there, too. I think, you know, Tony may, you know, leave for uh, Arkansas someday when Dave Van Horn retires. But I think Tony's enjoyed kind of carving out his own niche. Now, all of a sudden, they're convincing baseball that they signed a huge contract last year. But Ole Miss would be a fool not to at least go kick the tires. Why would you not? You have to. You know, maybe people say Cliff Godwin at ECU. That guy's consistently hosting regionals and a great job. Former Ole Miss hidden coach. Got some connections there. But, um, you know, I, I don't know who we'd want there. You know, I don't know. But uh, I, I do know this. I know that uh, I have a lot of respect for Mike Bianco and the, and the the things he has accomplished at Ole Miss, and sometimes at our expense. But I would hate to see that thing end ugly. I really would. I really would. And, um, you know, again, I go back to this whole thing, too. It's like, you know, what, what do you want? Well, we want, to, we want to go to Omaha regularly. Okay. Everybody else does, too. But uh, Ole Miss's baseball tradition, despite their protest to the contrary, was pretty anemic, you know, until, I guess, uh, Swayze got there. Swayze had a good run. Jay Gibbs had a few good years there. But in the 80s, it was miserable. And I don't know if you guys have, have, have looked at this. And maybe this is some good watercolor talk for you guys. And we talk about having a sense of history. And there are a lot of people that get caught up in recency bias. So here's the deal. So Ole Miss, let's, you know, prior to 1980, went to five NCAA baseball regionals in their history. Now, we didn't start having the tournament until 1948. They made their first appearance in 56, and, of course, they went in 77. They didn't go back to a regional, not, not Omaha. They didn't go back to a regional until 1995, 18 years between regional appearances. Well, in the meantime, Ron Polk is uh, you know, kind of wrestling control of college baseball in the state of Mississippi. And I, and I say wrestling control, we had it. You know, because Gregory was the better coach too, you know, when he was here. And so you look at that and you think, man, so what happened? Well, Mike Bianco got hired. So Bianco, in many respects, kind of like Skip Bergman. And even though LSU's baseball tradition was even more anemic than Ole Miss, part of Skip Bergman getting there, you know, Bianco inherited a program that was second fiddle in, in their own state and a team that did not have a lot of NCAA tournament appearances. And so, again, I, I respect what he's done. And then people will say, well, Steve, you're a Mississippi State guy. Of course you want him there. I mean, State's dominated the rivalry. Well, we always did, you know, other than one little minor stretch there in the early 2000s. You know, we've, we've dominated as of late. It wasn't like it's an upset. I and mean, we just kind of reclaimed our rightful place on the throne. And now we've got an AFL championship to show for it. But, again, I – I would hate to see that in ugly 
for Mike Bianco. I mean, it's like if, you know, if the Ole Miss people are upset, I mean, that's just so be it. I mean, but, um, but Bianco's had a great career at Mississippi State, and I know that he lost a lot of favor with people last year when uh, he was flirting with LSU. And, and to the end of the day, I don't know that that was actually a real deal, um, honestly. I don't, I don't know how serious it got. I know some Ole Miss media people were kind of suggesting that. I think a lot of that was kind of an agent talk. I think there were a lot of people just trying to get him a better deal. And now you're a year later, a year removed from signing that deal, and people want him gone. So how expensive is that going to be? Interesting. All right, final segment of the show brought to you by Portico. You know, our friend Brooks Bryan, uh, Brooks is a buddy, man. I, I love Brooks to death. He is a great guy. And uh, not just because he played baseball at Mississippi State, that always helps. And not just because of the fact that he robbed a home run to send us to Omaha, but that always helps. But uh, Brooks just a good dude. And one of the things that I enjoy, too, is like seeing our former players around supporting the program, supporting the players, supporting the staff. And that's Brooks. He does. You'll see him at football. You'll see him at baseball. And a lot of times he'll come by himself and just link up with, uh, you know, some friends out there in the outfield and have a cold one. Uh, Maybe you want to do that, too. And uh, Brooks is part of a great group. It's bringing this wonderful residential development to town. Portico. Very easy to get to. You turn off of 82 on a 12, like going to campus, the very first ride is Pat Station Road, and that'll take you to Portico. It's 1.1 miles away from the Mississippi State campus. How cool is that? You can go run on campus if you want to. You can run to warm up on your one-mile run to campus, run campus, and run that other mile home. That's how conveniently located it all is. And it's on the quiet side of campus, too. So you get the convenience of campus without all the hustle and bustle. Be sure and go check them out. Uh, let me give you Brooks's number. Just between us girls here. Brooks' number is 601-416-8075. Again, 601-416-8075. You can start with a two-bedroom, two-bath home, go all the way up to a four-bedroom, four-bath home, and anything in between. And at this point, phase one is completely sold out. Your new neighbor is already enjoying life in Portico. Phase two under construction now, but you can have a say in picking out your lot and your house plans and kind of get to work on that right away. You'll be glad you did. Make Portico your next move all right i wanted to uh, talk a little bit because uh, i wrote the article earlier this week about um you know about who recruited who on our NAFL championship team and so i was well yeah steve we've been recruiting this and and so there has it's created a lot of discussion a lot of people have reached out to me and i wanted to share a couple things with you too we talk about town cycles right i mean you've got a lot of guys out there like like last year you could say you could kind of argue that we reached the end of a, of a talent cycle in some respects. Obviously, we had a strong nucleus coming back, but you know, you know, TA and Rowdy were part of that great class. I mean, had, that was a tremendous class. You know, Josh Hatch was part of that class. That was the Westbrook Foscue class, if I'm not mistaken. But you had a ton of great guys in there that uh, did a great job for us. And so you wonder what's the next wave? Well, you know. You know, Brad will probably get drafted this year. You know, RJ's going to be gone. Cam James probably gone. Logan Tanner probably gone. Uh, Luke Hancock may have a decision to make. You know, Forsyth will be back. But you begin to look at, okay, well, what do we have coming back? What about next year's team? Well, number one, we're Mississippi State. Okay, we've recruited pretty well. We always do. We always just about always in the top ten. There's There are a few outliers, but we're always a top ten type recruiter. And then on top of that, I expect Mississippi State to be extremely active in the portal because you can say, look at what we did for Scotty DeBrulkamp and um, R.J. Yeager. So, obviously, we're able to kind of get guys in and get them going. 
But at the end of the day, the portal will only get you so far. You've got to have some guys that are not one-hit wonders. You've got to have some people that are going to be here for three years to kind of help sustain your program. Hunter Hines, I wrote an article yesterday about him, why he should be a freshman All-American candidate. I don't think there's any question. He is third in the SEC and RBIs regardless of, of player or class. He's second among freshmen and home runs nationally. That guy's going to be a freshman All-American. He's hitting 293. 293. 14 dingers, 47 ribbies. And that 47 ribbies obviously leads a team. And you remember that was a stretch there where he really struggled. You know, he had a stretch there. And then now an SEC play, he's figured it out. He has been phenomenal here in the last dozen ball games, No question about it. So, and he's also going to be here two more years. He will not be draft eligible until after the 2024 season. So that's a big part of things right there. You start thinking, okay, now I've got a guy in the heart of my order that has some power, but also, too, can hit some for average we got to find a way to get him a little bit quicker. We do. You look up here and see he had a triple earlier in the year, and, of course, that was a misplayed ball in the outfield. But Hunter, not a very fast guy. Uh, but uh, that's another guy, too, obviously, that you feel really great about him. You know, Kellum Clark is a guy, too, that will be draft eligible. Has he done enough to command a pick that will get him to go? And, obviously, he's still got a couple of years to work with, right? Um, so, he, you know, I, I think there's a possibility that he's back. And, again, a lot of it's going to depend on where he's drafted. But he is a guy, too, if he continues to make the jump. He's a 13-home run guy now. He hit five last year. And so now you begin to think, all right, well, exponentially, let's say he comes back and um, you know, maybe he's a 20-home run guy next year. I and mean, that's a big number. It is. But uh, certainly a high teens guy. I think you can be excited about that. Um, but I think that guy's coming back. I think there. If I had to call it today, I think Kellum comes back. I just don't know that he'll be drafted high enough uh, to command the the signing bonus that that he would probably want. And again, he's still got two years to work with, so he doesn't have to come this year. But let's say you get him back. Well, let's look up and down the order here and begin to think about Aaron Downs. You know, Aaron Downs is a guy. So Mississippi State had a handful of players from the beginning of the year. Perfect game. Uh, had their top 500 freshmen. Mississippi State, I think, had five in that list. Hunter Hines was one of them. He was the lowest rated of the group. Um, so we had six, yeah. So Aaron Downs was one of them. And I believe Aaron was the highest rated of the group. Aaron Downs, the guy that you know, missed some time early this year, hadn't played a whole lot. He's been a little bit banged up. But this is a guy, too, that we expect to be a starting outfielder for us. Tremendous amount of power. The pro scouts love him. But this is a guy to be back next year, I think, be a real factor. Now, one of the guys that hadn't played much this year, if at all, um, is Trey Higgins. Revy, they call him. It's Revy Higgins III, his quarterback. It's another guy that scouts love. You hadn't seen him, but this is another guy that's going to be a factor next year. You need to get a little bit bigger and stronger, learn to hit the breaking ball a little bit better. But this guy has star potential written all over him. We really think this guy has the potential to be a great player at Mississippi State. Slate Offer is a guy, too. You know, you heard about him in the fall as being arguably State's best defender at third base. And he's made some plays, and other times he hadn't. Uh, we're a little bit concerned about hitting. You know, he can hit it. If you throw him a fastball, he's going to embarrass you. But he's got to learn to pick up spin a little bit better. But this is a guy, too. All of a sudden, you start thinking, you know, Cam James moves along, and I think at this point he will. You know, Slate takes over at third. That gives you foresight that's short. And then if Hancock comes back, and that's obviously a possibility, he's at first. If not, Hunter Hines is at first. 
and you probably got to go into the portal probably to go get a veteran guy uh, to play second. Or maybe maybe you get a guy that moves Forsyth second. I don't know. But you start feeling pretty good about that infield defensively. And you know what you've got in the pieces in the outfield. But, um, you know, let's, you know where, where would we be this year, too, without Pico Khan? This is uh, Pico Khan. Khan. Pico Khan. I always have to check myself. You know, Pico is the guy that's probably thrown more innings than anybody expected. He's got 29 innings thrown this year. 2-0 record, 3.72 ERA, 16 appearances, 2 starts. Also has a save to his credit. Is allowing less than a hit per inning. Is allowed 12 earned runs, 11 walks against 31K. So this is a true freshman out here pitching in the Southeastern Conference, putting up a 3-1 to strikeout-to-walk ratio. That dog will hunt. Now, he's got to get bigger and stronger, and you expect him to. Uh, Cole Cheatham is a guy we talked a little bit earlier this year. I mean, earlier this week, you know, Cole probably had the best pitching performance of all the relievers last weekend, with the exception of Casey Hunt. But Cole Cheatham is another, you know, freshman left-hander. He's got five appearances and, and, and really been in short bursts. But he had an outstanding effort last week against Missouri. Am I ready to say he's ready for the weekend rotation? No, I'm not. But that's a building block for us as you begin to kind of look forward and think about this. Uh, Jack Walker was highly heralded coming out of high school. And, and again, just needs to get bigger and stronger. You know, we, he struggled at times in the fall, too. Uh, but this is a guy, too, that, uh, you know, he has some pretty good stuff. He's just got to add a little velo. He's got to get bigger and stronger, put on some mass. I think Jack's going to win a lot of ball games here. I'm, I'm not ready to give up on him by any stretch of the imagination. But, uh, you know, one win this year, 9.64 ERA. And, of course, he had the one really bad outing at Tulane that really kind of ballooned on him. But then he had a good outing against Arkansas. You start looking at the numbers, it's all about walks with him. It's all about control here. And that's what happens when you can't keep people off your fastball. You start getting too reliant on a change and a breaking ball. And if you can't consistently throw those pitches for strikes, well, people are going to wait you out. And, uh, you know, he's got you – know, look at the numbers here. 11 walks this year. You're in 14 innings. And uh, I guess a couple of hit – oh, yeah, a couple of hit by pitches too. Look at the numbers here. But uh, three hit by pitches. But uh, he's been hittable. And that's what happens when you can't throw a secondary pitch for a strike. You are hittable. I don't care how many years you've been in a league. When all you have is a fastball, you're 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 facing some of the best hitters hitters in all college baseball. So, if you can't get them out with a second and third pitch, they're just going to sit there and like taking BP. And that's been the issue, Jack. Uh, opponents are hitting 304 against him. 304. But again, I'm not ready to give up on that guy. But when I began to think about these guys and then what we have coming in, and listen, everybody's talked about Jet. You know, Jet's going to be a first-rounder. You know, he's a shortstop out of Texas. And I don't know if he's a shortstop at the next level, but um, that kid can really play. I don't expect him. And I think you know that if we get him, obviously that answers some questions about your middle infield, assuming he can make the adjustment to college pitching. But the guy's an absolute masher. We do think he's going to be a first-rounder. I don't think there's any question. But – there's a young nucleus of players that are getting some experience this year. They're going to be the guys next year. And, again, it's so easy to look, oh, there's some of these guys that are draft eligible. I don't think all these guys go. You know, I think Luke Hancock's a guy that loves Mississippi State. He may just decide, you know what, I'm ready to go. And he may just sign whatever he gets. I don't know what he's thinking. But Luke is a guy that could probably benefit from coming back. Luke probably needs to get some more reps at catcher. I don't know. And, again, I don't know what he's thinking. But either way, I think we're good. But you've got some young catchers you're kind of working on and working with. And I don't know that I wouldn't go get a guy out of the portal because you, you know that Logan's going to be gone. 
probably a first or second rounder. I wouldn't say – I don't think offensively he's done enough to stay in the first round projections, probably a second or third rounder, but I think he goes high enough to go. And he's been great for us, and we wish him the best. And he came here and did a great job for us and wanted to win a championship, and he did. But I don't have these feelings of doom and gloom like some other people do. You know, but, oh, well, oh, look at next year. Well, you know, how many of these guys – I mean, like this time last year, did you think Kellum Clark would be the dude that he is? No. You didn't know who Hunter Hines was. His name wasn't even on the radar. Pico wasn't even on the radar. And so – we're going to be a younger team next year, so we've got to find a way to get a little bit older, which is going to be the portal. And I think, you, I think you're going to end up seeing, you know, usually we've taken one or two guys out of the portal. You know, the first year at Open, we, take, we took a couple of grad transfers. We got David Dunleavy, and we got uh, Carlisle Kessler, and you know, then we get Stone Simmons. And you start looking at that, you start getting excited about, okay, well, if we've had some guys that have come in and done a good job for us, let's go get three or four of them. And I think that's what you're going to see happen. I think you'll have this young nucleus return, and you'll have some guys that are draft eligible elect to come back. You'll add some portal guys, and then you'll get guys like Higgins that is redshirted this year uh, back in the mix. And you never know who the newcomers are going to be. I mean, this time last year, did you expect R.J. Yeager to be among the best players in the Southeastern Conference? You didn't. And so before we throw the baby out with the bathwater, let's put some confidence in our coaching staff that they, they'll address the issues. They are, they're well aware of what roster management requires. So we're going to have a good team next year. Assuming we stay healthy next year, I think you're back in a position where you're potentially hosting again. You can say, but Steve, you're getting the cart before the horse. Well, no, I'm not. Because I think most of us that know kind of what's coming at the pipeline kind of realize that uh, this was going to be a bit of a transition year, even though – our expectations are really high. We saw, can we be a top eight? Yeah. Will we host? Yeah. And then all of a sudden you, you start going through the list. You lose Landon Sims. You lose Stone Simmons. You lose Brooks Auger. You know, it's like all of a sudden, now all of a sudden you're jammed up. You know, so yeah, you, you were probably maybe a shaky top eight in the regional projections. And then you lose your bell cow pitcher and your best reliever. Now all of a sudden you're on the back end of potentially hosting at best. And now we're just trying to make the tournament. But, um, again, I think sometimes let's just take a deep breath here. Let's take a deep breath kind of understand where we are and where we're headed. Um, I had somebody send me a number, too. People ask this all the time. What are we hitting in SEC play? I haven't went and done the math myself. What are we hitting in SEC play to Anderson scoring position? The number I was given, 306. 306. It's not as bad as we think. Sometimes we strain that guy at first base. But there, there's no denying we've got to get more timely hits. And that's got to start tonight. I, I expect Brandon Smith to go out there and give us a good start. And uh, I think the Bulldogs will be ready to go. And it's so important to win this one. And, again, remember, the prime shrimp player to watch this weekend, Preston Johnson. You start kind of th- thinking it through your mind. If you can squeeze one out tonight and Preston gives you a quality start tomorrow, you start to feel really good about your weekend. And if you have a great weekend, all of a sudden you start feeling better about your season. Again, I think one and two is just kind of the, the bare minimum and just kind of keeps you in the conversation. And, and, again, right now we're on the outside looking in. You win three, now all of a sudden it's like, okay, well, here we go. And that was the feeling last weekend is like, hey, we need to find a way to go sweep Missouri. I didn't think we would. I thought we'd at least get two of three, and I said that on the show. But now you know, we're in a situation, too, where our back's against the wall. And one thing I'll say you know, guys like Cameron James and Logan Tanner and Luke Hancock and Brad Cumbus, those guys, they've been up against it before. This time last year, we lose that series to Missouri, and a lot of people were counting them out. I even read on the message boards, people were saying, you know what, Steve? We're not even going to win a regional. 
We won an Apple championship. So these guys know what it takes to kind of rally around each other. And now, hey, we're down to the end of the deal. They got to do it. So hopefully on Monday, we're talking about a great series win, hopefully a sweep. But again, I'm not expecting that. But hopefully we get some help around the league. And uh, you never know what happens when you get to Hoover, too. You just never know. Listen, if you hadn't done so, go to dogpilethebook.com and you can order Dogpile. Sign the personalized copies. Mother's Day, of course, this weekend. A little bit late for that. You have to go to a local bookstore and pick it up. Father's Day is coming up, though. And maybe you've put off buying your dad those books and maybe update his collection. You can get signed copies of Flim Flam, Alpha Dogs, and Stark Villains, along with Dogpile. Blooms of Oleander, of course, available through Amazon, booksamagan.com, and bookstores everywhere. Be sure and check that out. Stark Villains gear is always available at StarkVillains.com. That's it for today, man. We'll see you guys on Monday. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.